dive into it. Yeah. Um. What was I gonna say? Oh, speaking of making music, um, last night I was drinking wine, which I know it's supposed to be sober October. Oops. <laughs> but apparently I have a problem. Um, but I only, I'll have like, okay, no, I drink way too much wine. I'm going to quit. How has your not been drinking going? Uh, I, if it makes you feel better, I also had like a little bit of a relapse because, uh, Andrea had her friend over to celebrate the end of her class and Uh. they were making, when I came in, they were making dinner and they were having wine. So I drank, uh, a bit and, uh, yeah, I feel bad about it, but the next day I just, I felt really a little hungover and I didn't feel very good at all. So, I mean, for what it's worth, I'm back on the wagon, not like I, I really don't have a desire to do it. Nice. Yeah, I, um, I do. So I don't know. I need to figure something else out. I know why I do it. Um, and I can't really change that because of fucking COVID. I think the thing that's, I mean, I, I guess just for whatever reason, I'm just not like, I don't have any desire to do it, but I think one thing that's helped too is just being so busy, like going to the gym every day and always having an appointment, like to do a podcast or do music or play a video game. Like I think keeping busy has been keeping me away from it. Um, by the way, this is Practice Mix Podcast. <laughs> welcome, welcome all. We are broadcasting live from a can tied to a string. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and listening to another episode of the latest series, The History of. Yeah. Um, so speaking of music, though, because uh, we're playing together, or we're going to try to play more music, even though it's over the internet, which isn't as sound worky. Conducive. <laughs> yeah, conducive. Um, wait, am I recording? Okay, cool. Um, last night I was drinking wine, like I said, and then I was like, I'm going to play my guitar. So working with you, it's inspired me to like pick up my guitar because I haven't done that in a while. And then I played um, that song I played you, and I started to just, like, think about my ex, and it made me really sad. Aww. And then, yeah, and then I was like, and then I played a Death Cab for Cutie song, which also made me very sad. And I was thinking, like, I only know sad songs, and that, and I've just accepted that, and I've just been playing songs that I relate to I think because my and this is the crazy thing that I realized is I was like okay I'm gonna write a happy song and it's just gonna be an escapism kind of song that's just about something joyful and then I started writing this song and I realized how hard it is for me to stay positive and not start saying like morbid things like you know, the words that I tend to use in my lyrics are like, they tend to go like morbid. I'll talk about pain a lot or I don't even know. It's just, I always go dark and I've always just been okay with that. But then last night it made me feel so much better to just write this song that was just, just forcing myself to be over the top, like happy, talking about like sunshine and it was so hard for me. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I tend to be a very pessimistic and negative person myself. And that's not that's not a good thing. On one hand, it, it helps to maybe have a realistic outlook on things. And sometimes the realistic outlook isn't always the most positive. Yeah. But uh, always being focused on negative things can be really consuming and I suppose there's no easy solution to that Uh, I guess the best thing is to 
be around people that make you feel good, uh, work on things that try and make you feel better about yourself. Oh God. It's so hard to be around people though. Cause you know, COVID. Yeah. Um, but so that whole kind of negative mindset and mentality is what I've learned is part of, um, anxiety and depression. And so people that are depressed a lot of the time, it's because they go to the negative in their thoughts every time something happens. And, and the more that you do that, the more depressed you are, it seems. And then there's also that one aspect of depression, which you talked about like years and years ago, you said that depression is the inability to see a future for yourself. So I think it'll help me if I try to write some happy songs to just kind of reroute my thoughts. Sunshines, lollipops, and <laughs> rainbows, everything. Yeah, those songs exist, and people listen to them. It just, like, baffles me, but I'm going to try doing it. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll be able to keep working on music together on a regular basis, and uh, that'll help yeah. keep you inspired and keep positive. Yeah, Not COVID positive. <laughs> I have been taking medication, actually. It's helped a lot. Back on it. It's working mm. for me. Jordy. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to tell you about the history of marriage. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't have thought of that as being something that would have a history, but I guess... Um... You know, like any, I guess it, it, people call it often an institution, the institution of marriage. So uh, it stands to reason that there would be a, a history behind all of that. Yeah. So I have this article I will read from and then I'll do like a timeline kind of thing. A lot of it is um, I'm finding kind of it, it doesn't have the best history for women necessarily. And I mean, History in general isn't great for women, especially in the United States or, like, kind of American culture all around. I'm not sure about Canada's history of how they treated women, but I know, like, more Central America and, I mean, all over the world, let's just be honest. Yeah, I think most, the general outline throughout human history has been kind of a struggle for women to have more of a voice and more representation in Canada. It's, I mean, from what I understand, it's quite similar to what took place in the United States, like the women's suffrage movement and things like that. Hmm. I wonder, you probably know a lot about it, huh? Cause your, your mom is pretty into it or. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, my mother was really big into the women's movement. Like she, was young in like the 60s and 70s when a lot of uh, feminist um, like ideas were really coming to the forefront. I know like bits and pieces of things. Um, like for one example, I know like it wasn't until like the mid 1970s in the United States that women were allowed to serve on grand juries because up until that point they weren't considered to be peers. <laughs> You're supposed to have a jury of your peers. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, I mean, to be honest, it is kind of fragmented and mm-hmm. not like having a timeline and stuff like that. Hopefully, we can work on that a little bit today. Sure. Um, okay. So, the best available evidence suggests that it's about 4,350 years old. For thousands of years before that, most anthropologists believe families consisted of loosely organized groups of as many as 30 people with several male leaders, multiple women shared by them, and children. Um, As hunter-gatherers settled down, society had more need for stable arrangements and the first recorded evidence of marriage ceremonies uniting one woman and one man dates... uh, back from about 2350 BC in Mesopotamia. Um, So right around the start with what most people, what most uh, historians consider to be the beginning of civilization. Okay. Around Mesopotamia. And back then marriage had little to do with love or religion. Um, So then what was it about? 
its primary purpose was to bind women to men and thus guarantee that a man's children were truly his biological heirs. Um, through marriage, a woman became a man's property. In the betrothal ceremony of ancient Greece, a father would hand over his daughter with these words, I pledge my daughter for the purpose of producing legitimate offspring. Among the uh, ancient Hebrews, men were free to take several wives. Married Greeks, married Greeks and Romans were free to satisfy their sexual urges with concubines, prostitutes, and even teenage male lovers, while their wives were required to stay at home and tend to the household. If wives failed to produce offspring, their husbands would give them back and marry someone else. <laughs> give them back. Um, that reminds me, actually, there, I remember in Sparta, the uh, ancient Greek city-state, uh, for marriage, there was a kind of a ceremony that that they did. It was a ritual where uh, the woman would have to be in her house. I guess it was her family's house and the male would have to come in through the window and grab her and take her out. So it was like a, a mock kidnapping. <laughs> of yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think part of, I mean, throughout history you'll see, I mean, I'm, you already know this, I'm sure, but um, it was always like the woman was property and also being a woman was like you wanted the richest guy or like you it was like a combining of families a lot of the time or it was all about um like money a lot of the it time it was more or, of an, a business arrangement yeah or status and things like that and um we've still maintained a lot of these traditions um despite now that women can be independent when at the time they were they had to be dependent because they couldn't vote and um, they were just kind of like for making children. And so now our society is much different than that, but we maintain these same kind of ideas. Um, and so overcoming that is obviously a challenge because this is centuries and centuries of thinking like this. Yeah, I guess one of those uh, one example that's kind of a remnant of those types of arrangements would be the the tax benefits that you get when you're married. Oh yeah. What if uh, yeah the government still seems to kind of incentivize people getting married through things like that. Whereas today, if you were had a roommate that you'd been living with for years, or just uh, you know a boyfriend or girlfriend, you wouldn't be eligible for those kind of uh, for those kind of tax benefits so it's there still seems to be a type of notion as of a marriage as a type of an economic arrangement yeah um and then we just kind of threw love into the mix i guess but that was during like the romantic era like shakespeare and things like that mm -hmm. um so when did religion become involved so as the roman catholic church became a powerful institution in europe the blessings of a priest became a necessary step for marriage to be legally recognized. By the 8th century, marriage was widely accepted in the Catholic Church as a sacrament or a ceremony to bestow God's grace. At the Council of Trent in 1563, the sacramental nature of marriage was written into canon law. Did this change the nature of marriage? Church blessings did improve the lot of wives. Oh, good. See, religion is good for some things. Men were taught to show greater respect for their wives and forbidden from divorcing them. Christian doctrine <laughs> declared You're in it for life. Yeah, I mean, for for so long, I think even like with our our parents' generation, it was okay finally to divorce. It was I still kind of like until, shitty, but I think up until like fairly recently, it was hard to get a divorce in the United States. I think. Like uh, in the 1940s, even as late as the 1940s, I think it was quite a process to, uh, if you wanted to get a divorce, you had to have some kind of a viable reason, if I'm not mistaken. That might, I might be, might be wrong about, but that seems to be, it seems to me like that's what was, what was the practice up until yeah, pretty recently. 
I did see something like that where it was um, they added something else to the list of reasons where it was like you you could um, have just in like differences that you can't resolve. I can't remember what you call that. Irreconcilable differences. Yeah, something like that they added. <clears throat> and I think there's a term. I think the term is no fault divorce. It's just oh, that's what it was. Where yep. you say, "Well, I just kind of don't like you anymore." So <laughs> it's nobody's just, fault. But can let's we just stop? move on? <laughs> um, Christian doctrine declared that the the twain shall be one flesh. <laughs> the twain, giving husband and wife exclusive access to each other's bodies. This put new pressure on men to remain sexually faithful, but the church still held that men were the head of families with their wives deferring to their wishes. Um, when did love enter the picture? Later than you might think, says the article. For much of human history, couples were brought together for practical reasons, not because they fell in love. In time, of course, many marriage partners came to feel deep mutual love and devotion, I do know people that um, where they they did have arranged marriages still in this day and age, and they come to fall in love. And I've heard also that um, people that do that actually have more successful marriages a lot of the time. And um, it's nice to get to know each other that way, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> um, I remember one thing from a course that I took uh, on the history of the Ottoman Empire. Um, one thing that the, you know, the sultans of the Ottoman Empire was known for was the, the harems. Mm. And there's a, a lot of kind of misconceptions that people in the West had about harems. They kind of thought of it as like this sort of erotic fantasy with many naked women running around the palace or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of the time, or from, from what I understood, is it was mostly just a place for, like, women to be kept and preserved uh, in waiting for them to be married off to, like, people of high status in order oh. to arrange, make politically arranged marriages that were, like, of a strategic benefit to the sultan and to the Ottoman Empire. But one thing that I remembered from the class was um, how it was really the the mother that would choose the wife or the wives for the sultan hmm. and the the comment that the professor made was well it's you know the the person that, that your mother is going to choose for you isn't always the person that you would necessarily <laughs> choose for yourself True. but um i no i think there is something to be said for that um about a marriage being arranged between like two families it it may it may be the case sometimes that having other people uh decide something for you it might lead to a more sound judgment than something that we might decide for ourselves oh, not yeah. saying that's always the case but yeah and i also it was a ted talk i think that i saw or a couple different ones that talked about this um where the more decisions we have, the the less happy we are. And so they did this study um, with people that don't have the ability to make new memories. You know, they have like, you know, they had head injuries or that's how they've always been. Um, and they would give them a choice between three paintings for one of the uh, tests. And then um, they would say like, um, label which one is your favorite, your second favorite, and your third favorite. And then at the end of it, they um, said that they could take the their second favorite home, that they couldn't take their first favorite, but they could take their second. And then when they came back the next day and they rated them again, they rated their second favorite as their first now. Hmm. So what that was showing, that... Um, whatever choice you make or kind of whatever happens to you, you're, it's going to be the same result. Like you're going to be just as happy either way, whether you decide to pick number one or number two in, in the long run, you're going to like whichever one you picked more. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that is interesting. I do, I'm almost ashamed to admit it, but I do feel that I've been in situations where I've had several options and it made me feel overwhelmed or it made me feel worse about the situation in general. I felt as though there were too many choices to make and I would spend my time overthinking everything, uh, trying to decide exactly what the right outcome should be. And a lot of the time when decisions ended up being made for me for whatever reason, through circumstance or through chance, um, I was almost more readily at peace with that. Yeah. But I feel like such a, I feel like a lemming saying that. (laughs) Why? I don't know. I feel like we're supposed to want to be in control of our own destinies and Mm. to have as many doors open to us as possible. But, um, I have found that a lot of the time when I had fewer options, things seemed a lot more simple. Yeah. Maybe that's what I can try to remember when with like COVID, because this is an example of not having any options hardly at all and being not happy about that. But it could just be I'm stuck in my house a lot of the time. You know, it's smoky outside, too, from the fires. And it's like I am I feel isolated. I think isolation is never a good thing. Um, I'm lacking community, which is, you know, multiple studies have shown that you, um, the people that are the happiest are people that are involved in communities and, um, feel like they're supported. Yeah. So I think it's important to make the distinction that not having, having fewer options or having fewer complications should be distinct from having a lack of freedom. Yeah. Like you, there's no way you can have fewer options than being a slave or in prison. Right. But those aren't typically considered to be good things. <laughs> no. like most people don't feel good about those. So I think, uh, keep maybe keeping things simple versus, uh, not having, not having free will or right. not having any options is probably important to make, uh, to differentiate the two. <laughs> Um, okay. So romantic love, (laughs) uh, it was, it started being a motivating force for marriage, um, around the middle ages. So naturally many scholars believe the concept was invented by the French, uh, 12th century advice literature told men to woo the object of their desire by praising her eyes, hair, and lips, not the shoulders. (laughs) Um, did love change marriage? It sure did. This fellow, Marilyn Yalom, a Stanford historian and author of A History of the Wife. I'm curious to watch or read that. Um, credits the concept of romantic love with giving women greater leverage in what had been a largely pragmatic transaction. Wives no longer existed solely to serve men. The romantic prince, in fact, sought to serve the woman he loved. Still, the notion that the husband owned the wife continued to hold sway for centuries. When colonists first came to America at a time when polygamy was still accepted in most parts of the world, the husband's dominance was officially recognized under a legal legal doctrine called coverture, under which the new bride's identity was absorbed into his. Oh, this is when, like, you take your husband's last name. I've always thought that was weird. Yeah, that's uh, like here in Quebec, uh, people don't typically do that. And oh. I, I remember I had a, my boss was from South Korea back when I was in living in Colorado. And one of the things that he thought was just so outrageous was that women would take on the name of their husband. Yeah. And partly some people that I've talked to that have decided to do that. They, they said they do it so that their kids will have the same last name as them. No, you could still give the kids one last name or the other. I don't know. Yeah. In Spain, they, they, um, typically in Spain, I believe they combine the two names. Oh yeah, like so, hyphenate it? Yeah, it's hyphenated. So if your father's name is, uh, 
Ruiz and the mother's name is Gomez, the name of the child would be Ruiz Gomez or something like that. Oh, yeah. Nice. And then you just keep adding on every time. I don't know. I guess at some point they have to make a decision and drop one of the names because if they kept adding them on, I think we would have like 50 last names. Yeah, 50. I know some people that have quite a few, but not that many. My name is Reginald Buckley Hernandez Wolfgang Bouvier. <laughs> yeah, you you incorporated a lot of different languages, I feel like. Yeah, try and keep it uh, international here. Yeah, good job. Mr. Worldwide. (laughs) Um, The bride gave up her name to symbolize the surrendering of her identity. I feel like this article might be a little biased, but I like it. And the husband suddenly became more important as the official public representative of two people, not one. The rules were so strict that any American woman who married a foreigner immediately lost her citizenship. Is that true? In the U.S.? I guess. Uh, yeah, I know that there, the U.S. didn't recognize dual nationality until about the 1970s, if I recall. Oh, it's the other way around now. If you marry someone from outside uh, the country, <laughs> then they get to become a citizen, right? Yeah, there's still lots of places around the world that don't recognize dual citizenship, um, that's not necessarily just something that has to do with marriage. It's, I mean, if someone were to immigrate to another country by themselves and they wanted to become a citizen, they would have to, in some cases, renounce their previous citizenship. Oh. Yeah, I always thought of that, like, until you got a dual citizenship, right? You have dual citizenship? Yep, I have U.S. and Canadian citizenship. Yeah, I always thought that you had to only have one yeah, well, it, it was like that until fairly recently in the U.S. and in some parts of the world. It's still the case, like in Germany. They don't recognize dual nationality. Uh, just a little fun fact, Russia just recently changed their nationality law to where they do recognize dual citizenship. Oh, let's go to Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Pack your bags. for it. <laughs> um, okay. How did this tradition change? So... Um, the whole idea of her, like, losing her identity. Women won the right to vote. Yeah, that was great. When that happened in 1920, the institution of marriage began a dramatic transformation. Suddenly, each union consisted of two full citizens, although tradition dictated that the husband still ruled the home. Oh, yeah. So this is where I'm going to do the timeline now because all of this is just kind of like the historical... Stuff and the timeline I have here, I think, is more informative. Um, so, okay. In 1900, all states granted married women the right to own property in their own name. So, to my understanding, if you were not married, you could own property. But if you were, you basically gave up all your rights. Do you know... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not just something about, uh, con- confined to the 1900s. Um, like throughout, throughout history, there were a lot of, um, like marriage was largely, especially for noble, no- nobility and higher ups, it was a political arrangement. Yeah. And there were even wars started over this, um, uh, because, uh, just for example, like the Hundred Years' War, which was to take place between England and France, the conflict started because, uh, the queen, uh, the heir to the throne of, uh, France, I believe, was a woman. Not quite. Essentially, what started the conflict was that the, one side decided that the throne could not be inherited through a woman or to a woman. Mm. And so that's like a, a a big theme throughout human history is women not being able to like have property rights or the right to like run, hold office or basically have control over anything. Where was this? I've basically throughout human history. I gave the one oh. example of the middle ages in the hundred years war. Where, where they w- they weren't accepting the legitimacy of a, a queen ruler or a female ruler. Mm-hmm. But um, 
yeah, there are things like property rights and uh, inheritance and things like that. I know um, one thing that happened in uh, the Arab world when Islam became a religion, the prophet Muhammad, he changed the laws to where uh, a woman could inherit her father's property. That was one of the reforms that was, mm. that he made. Yeah, I think I read that too, actually. You have a good memory. I remember bits and pieces of things. <laughs> In 1904, uh, there was, you weren't allowed to have polygamous marriages anymore. Um, something I was reading about looking through like the history of marriage was that, um, a lot of the time having multiple wives was just kind of the norm if you were wealthy. And again, because women were dependent, it was all about how many wives you could afford basically. And so the idea of monogamy came mostly for people that weren't as wealthy because they could only afford one wife and so they were forced to be monogamous and then there were other cultures where women had multiple husbands and partly because um of controlling land to keep others out and so it was more of like um again political reasons um like there was this one story where this woman was married to like four brothers they were all brothers yeah, I think uh, in India, having multiple husbands would happen from time to time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I know polygamy is still kind of the norm in parts of Africa. And uh, I know that the Mormons in the United States, they were huge into polygamy. And they <laughs> did not accept the, the new laws about the rulings on polygamy. They would go so far as to... Well, at the time they would just flat out ignore it, but they would go so far as to like leave the country. I know there are a lot of Mormons who would go down to Mexico oh. in order to be able to practice uh, polygamy or just their faith in general. Mm. Yeah, I think partly it depends on what society requires. Like um, if, if men are the only ones allowed to make money and have property, then... Um, having multiple wives would help out around the farm or raising kids, whatever the purpose is. And then having multiple husbands would make sense in other situations where you need more like manpower. Manpower. <laughs> I, I wish I could remember the name of the movie, but there, I, there was a really interesting Brazilian movie about a woman who just over time, she ends up having like four, three or four husbands. Oh yeah. I wish you could remember it. Yeah, I've I've struggled for years to figure out the title of that movie, but uh, it it was an interesting movie, and uh, yeah, I could see how a lot of the time, like multiple husbands or multiple wives, it's basically just a question of uh, like having more help around the house. Yeah, like, it wasn't about um, like emotional connection. I re well, I remember one story where there was a man and his his wife. And it was actually like the wife's idea to get on second wife. And the husband was like really resistant to it. And she had to like put a lot of pressure on him eventually to find a second wife. And he was like, oh, okay. This house is too because big he... to take care of by myself. <laughs> and I want company. <laughs> company, yeah. That's how I would feel. Um... Yeah, I, c I could see circumstances where people would just want to have more people around the house yeah especially if your husband was like boring or never around doesn't like the same things maybe <laughs> in covid covid will lead to more polygamy because people will want to uh not be bored and alone at the house all the time is i think polygamy is specifically multiple wives right yeah and i think the word is polyandry for multiple husbands okay and then polyamory is just kind of like all around the board yeah, that could be any number of things, any combination of any type of relationship, I'm sure. It probably depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. Uh, well, we did an episode on polyamory. I interviewed Colton Lee, so you can check that out. You can check that out, Jody. Yeah, I need to listen to that one. I wasn't present for it. Be I know, it was really interesting. Colton is fascinating. He He has some really cool things to say, and he's really fun to talk to. Okay, 1948, California Supreme Court overturns interracial marriage ban. 1965, uh, Supreme Court overturns laws prohibiting married couples from using contraception. Wow, 1965. 
There was a law against using contraception up until that point. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty hard to believe. I'd, I mean, the, one thing that's funny is um, apparently because a lot of um, like a lot of people are still anti-abortion and even anti-contraception uh, things like that. Mm. But a, a lot of the time they do it for religious reasons. But apparently there's even evidences in the Bible where women use uh, contraceptives or they are they're able to perform abortions. Yeah. Like there's a passage in the Bible where it says, if you think your wife has cheated on her, you need to give her a potion. Oh, a potion. And it will make the, it will end the pregnancy. Oh, that reminds me, because you said, um, we're talking about divorce, but uh, in Catholicism, if you get divorced, and I know this, like this was a couple of years ago, so I don't think it's changed, but maybe it has at this point. But if you're Catholic and you get divorced, like they, you can't be Catholic anymore. And there was this one woman I worked with who her, um, ex-husband was this just like raging alcoholic and, and she was trying to get back into the church cause she had to divorce him. Like she tried to make it work for years and then, um, she had to, you know, protect herself and her health and she had to divorce him and, and they wouldn't let her be a part of the church anymore. She had to like work her way back in. I don't know if she's back in yet, but it's a whole orde- ordeal. Yeah. I, uh, well, I was, I was raised both Protestant and Catholic. So that, that was kind of interesting, but, um, I, I think, yeah, if you're, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think if you're just like wanting to go to the church services and as long as you don't tell anyone what your business is, I don't think anyone's going to be <laughs> asking any questions, but I, I would imagine that, yeah, if you were someone that was really implicated in the church and people, uh, knew your business, then I imagine that could create some problems. The uh, Anglican Church, which is technically the state religion of the United Kingdom, uh, basically the whole reason it was created was because King Henry VIII wanted to be able to get a divorce. <laughs> uh, the history of Henry VIII is really an interesting one. Um, you should do that. Yeah, I could. Tr- I could maybe talk about that next time. But uh, yeah, essentially he wasn't happy with his his wife i think they were having trouble producing an error or something like that and he wanted to be able to get a divorce so he asked the pope's permission and the pope was like well no you you can't do that like it's against the religion and henry the was like oh well i'm just gonna make my own religion and i can get divorced wow. and i'm the head of this religion so he made Protestant religion or which one? Yeah, it was a it was a form of Protestantism. Wow, that's awesome. I'm just gonna make my own religion. I wanna do that. I just well, yeah. well, there's a lot of paperwork to fill out. Oh. Well never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> In nineteen sixty seven Supreme Court overturns laws prohibiting interracial couples from marrying. Uh, 1975, married women allowed to have credit in their own name. Score. 1975? What? Yeah, I think that was the year when the women were finally allowed to be on grand juries. Oh my god. Wow. That's crazy. That is crazy. That is like 12 years before I was born. Like, my mom was fully alive and living and, like, doing stuff. (laughs) She was still living large. She was not married. And, oh, maybe that's what helped her. Anyway. Yeah, it's not that long ago. God, can you believe it? I thought 1970 was late for women to be able to go to, like, those prestigious colleges. They were allowed to go to Harvard at that point, I think, and, like, a couple others. But I know for, like... Chicago, whatever that one was, that 1970 was when they were allowed to go there. And so I thought that was late, but 1975? Maybe, I mean, how long has credit existed? <laughs> of a long time. I mean, oh, okay. I... I was like, maybe credit earliest, just started to be, and then... <laughs> no, the earliest example that I can think of, I'm sure there's earlier stuff than that, but like the Knights Templar, 
they were an order of knights that started off as crusaders. Oh, wow, that's a long and time ago. Like, like they became warriors, and then eventually they're like, let's become bankers. <laughs> and they basically a natural became, transition. Yeah, they became like one of the very first like banks where they would loan oh. out money to mostly heads of state and but I, I would assume it. they would loan out money to individuals not women but oh god no of course not. <laughs> uh, maybe 19- they did i don't know <laughs> maybe probably not though let's be real if she wore like a fake beard i'm sure oh yeah good. that's that's how fake beards came to be the history of fake beards <laughs> <laughs> Um, 1993, all 50 states have revised laws to include marital rape. Okay. In 1993, before then, okay, various states throughout this time revised laws, right? But by 1993, all 50 states have revised laws to include marital rape. So up until then, women could be raped by their husbands and that was fine. In 1993, I was alive. (laughs) Yeah, because I guess the reasoning was that through the act of marriage, it was perpetual consent. Perpetual consent. I like that. (laughs) Uh, Well, you, that's, that's like, yeah, it's like a contract. You didn't read the fine print. (laughs) Whenever he's in the mood. Yeah, it's really you, dark. Oh my god. Yeah, it's like when you download an app and it's like read this privacy policy and you're like, yeah, probably not, and you just agree to it. Scroll down to the bottom. <laughs> okay, here's what I never knew. I mean, I never knew a lot of this, but in 1996, Bill Clinton signs the Defense of Marriage Act uh, into law. It outlaws both polygamy and same-sex marriage. So those were grouped together, and Bill what Clinton year? signed that, 1996. Mm. Um, 1998, South Carolina is the last state to remove ban on interracial marriage. In 1998, they still had a ban on interracial marriage in South Carolina. Stay away from South Carolina. Don't go oh, there Oh, I, I could have told you that before. It's a... It's like one giant truck stop. It's <laughs> Sorry to anyone that lives there. Um, maybe move somewhere else. That's all I have to say. I wonder if it was enforced at all. I can't oh imagine that it was. But... I know. That's the thing. Like These laws just kind of hang out, but no one actually looks them up. And then, yeah, a lot of the times people just forget that they're on the books. Right. There um, were some, some that just got overturned, I feel like, fairly recently that were like, one of them was like women are allowed to be like stoned to death if they um if if they like if their husband cheats or something like that was still in I'm thinking of something else but I swear it was something like that to that extreme and they were like oh this is still here we should probably get rid of this <laughs> I I seem to remember a case of a a high school boy uh I think this was in Kentucky he managed to get out of school for the day because there's some obscure old law that said if the student needs to use the day to go to the county fair then they're allowed to get out of school so he pointed out that law and the school just couldn't really do anything they had to let him go to the fair that's amazing oh what a what a brilliant little guy so he went to the fair then I I mean, if he didn't, he was breaking the law. <laughs> if he just went home, he was going to be in big trouble. <laughs> um, okay. And then, so throughout, from 2000 to 2013, like just throughout the United States, um, state by state, like every year kind of, another state would do this, um, same-sex marriage gets legalized. I remember that. Just like, what? Yeah, oh, now 2014. this state, now these states, and yay, oh, now it's uh, oh, 2000, on the state level. 2000 to th- 2013, yep. Yeah, I remember, I can't remember what year it was, but we had to drive all the way out to Iowa from Colorado to help my friend uh, get married to his now husband. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Because it that. wasn't legal. Yeah. It wasn't legal in Colorado at the time. Oh, my God, yep. 
Um, I don't think it ever passed at the state level in Colorado. I think it was when the okay, yeah, when the federal when the Supreme Court ruled that, that it was, was in, unconstitutional to ban it. Well, that was in 2013, where the Supreme Court overturns the Defense of Marriage Act, which was out that outlawing both polygamy and same-sex marriage. So they turned that over. So can we be polygamous again? I wonder. I don't know. I don't recall anyone. I never got the memo on that one. Yeah, no one I know. But uh, I feel like same-sex marriage was later than that. I feel like it was in 2014 because I seem to remember being in Canada when that I heard the news about that hmm. one. But Yeah, maybe it's a year off then. Because, yeah, a few states overturned it or um, legalized it, and then eventually the Supreme Court overturns that. Said in 2013, but yeah, I guess 2014 is a possibility as well. So that was the Are history of gonna... marriage. Are they just going to what? And then they lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, so um, there is a podcast episode on Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. I have to remember, it's an NPR podcast, one of those on Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And when it comes to marriage and like unionizing wait no the union of two people <laughs> what do you call that civil union um and it, it's like uh it talks about you know in the beginning where we didn't it was more of a transaction and then eventually we um started to require just like everything from our partner that we needed them to be our best friend and our caretaker and our emergency contact and our uh, emotional support and our um, uh, support financially and um, uh, fathers and mothers and um, business partners sometimes and just like all of this from one person at some point we shifted to that. Yeah, I feel like the article was a little bit uh, biased, and it it does seem to have kind of like a an anti marriage like overtone to it. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like my my girlfriend and I we want to get married at some point when the circumstances are better, and so I don't think it's inherently uh, a bad thing by any means. But yeah, I, I do agree with you that there still seems to be this kind of notion that our partner or significant other has to just be absolutely everything to us and we have to be completely like isolated with them and you know there there can't be anything outside of like the marriage or the relationship and you know a lot of the times even if we love you know someone else you know we you can't that's not reasonable to expect someone to be able to provide you with absolutely everything yeah, I never wanted to get married. I I just, I mean, I wanted someone to come along and change my mind. Um, and at, at this point, I'm starting to understand and un, like get the concept of it, like why people would do it. I think throughout my 20s when people were getting married and, and some of them very young, like 21, 23, um, they were doing it because they were kind of in a hurry for whatever reason and, and they felt like they needed to. They wanted the wedding and it was all about the idea of it. And now that they all hate each other um, <laughs> and they realize they're terrible decisions that they've made because can you imagine whoever you like were banging when you were like 21 or 23 that you are now like stuck with that person? Can you imagine like, just pick one of those people and just, like, that's who you married. I mean, I have known people that were together from a very young age, like 18, 20, and they're, they're still together to this day. But, yeah, I, I think that generally speaking, like, 21 and 23 is a little bit, like, early to be deciding the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. I've changed so much since then, just, like, my ideas of, like, who I want to be. And, and I guess you can grow together. I, I do see that that is a possibility Like for people that maybe grew up with a healthier dynamic in their family where they can see that it's a partnership makes more sense. But I've had to take this long to learn why people would stay together. And one, and one of the reasons that I've seen is that 
it's a partnership. Like you, you don't have to be, I mean, equal, um, in, in the sense that you, uh, each contribute and you do your part and you help each other out, but, um, not equal in the same way that you aren't the same people. You don't do the same things around the house. You don't, you don't serve the same purpose in each other's lives. Exactly. You know, what maybe one person is, um, more of like the cook and whether that's the man or the woman is undetermined. And then maybe one of the people makes more money and they pay for the vacations or something, you know? And so the idea of equality isn't that it's split right down the middle. I think it's a, I, the idea of compromise and can you work through your issues and your differences because there, there are always going to be some. Yeah, I think, um, in, in any case, for me, it was definitely a matter of me having to reach some level of maturity before I was ready to like, be with someone and, and stay with them. Um, in some ways, I, I guess I'm still I'm still living with the um, like the expectations or the uh, upbringing of like marriage is like the sacred and like special uh, practice because a, a lot of our reasoning for why we haven't gotten married yet is because we're not able to like afford a house or start a family or something like that. And I, in our mind, it's like, why would we get married now when essentially nothing would change in our lives? Mm. And so I guess in that sense, I'm still seeing marriage as some kind of like a sacred institution. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong for that, but, uh, I think that's a big, uh, that's a big, uh, obstacle for a lot of people in our age range. Like the younger generation is, um, a lot of the times marriage isn't even really an option on the table because we're not able to start families or have a real household or anything like that. And I, I guess now people end up just being boyfriend and girlfriend forever. And so it ends up being something like a de facto marriage. They came up with the concept of a common law marriage. Oh, yeah. Which is like when you're living with someone for X amount of years under the same household, the government just said, oh, well, you're married. But, <laughs> wait, no, no, we're not. You're married. But wait, we, we didn't have a ceremony. I, I didn't get her a ring. And we, we, we don't have a certificate. <laughs> yeah, you're married. <laughs> this is... A legal thing now. <laughs> well, yeah, I think for I think the idea of marriage is different for everyone, and that's only just coming to light now, at least for me, uh, that it doesn't have to be this rigid idea um, where because I don't want children and I prefer to live alone. So, so what, can I still get married to someone? Can I commit myself to someone that I'll be here for you? I'll be your partner. Um, you know, and we're kind of like tied together in knowing that we're not alone and still not have children and still maybe even live in separate places. And I think, and then there's also polyamory where two people are, married maybe but then they have someone else that they're committed to for life or at least in you know and divorce is a thing so it's like it's not even a lifetime decision and I think part for some people marriage does equal children and house and family and and shut the rest of the world out and it's almost like okay let's get married and then ruin everything let's get married and then change everything so that if we end up hating each other we're stuck with it like you can't leave me even if this gets hard you can't leave me <laughs> yeah maybe this is just kind of a cop-out answer to everything but i i guess i tend to think that love is a nice thing. It's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm on board with the romanticists and all yeah. that. And I guess whatever way you happen to find love and whatever form that may come, you should appreciate it and, and cherish it and take it for what it is. And if that's through getting married or through polyamory or through polygamy or through, <laughs> uh, hanging out at home with your stuffed animals. Um, 
I, I guess everyone has to find the answer within themselves. And I feel lame and generic for saying something like that, but sometimes basic platitudes tend to hold kernels of truth within them. Yeah, I think um, love is a concept all its own that's a little bit confusing, you know, because people can feel like they're in love with someone that's terrible to them. And it's like, you know, you didn't choose that. It's like the chemicals in your brain or you they they pretended to be someone else at first and now you're in love with an idea. So love can be dangerous in that way if, you, if that's what you think love is. Or this is the concept that I've come upon more recently where I can understand the idea of marrying someone if they were to be a partner is that I feel that love for them, meaning I want them to do well, I want them to I want to like help take care of them and help them with whatever it is that um, they go through and then I also feel cared for like it's this idea of love that is a partnership where it does feel equal even though you're not doing the same things like I need help with things that involve tools <laughs> like I'm allowed to admit that that doesn't mean I'm not a strong independent woman it means that I don't fucking get it like I need help help me with my car I'm sorry I can't be that person all the, I can't be all the things and I think someone that fits into that little space in my life it's going to add to my life and I will in turn add to theirs and that to me is love and that's worthy of commitment and marriage yeah. It's, it's not just chemicals like, oh, I can't leave him. I just love him so much, even though he beats me. No, that's, uh, well, uh, yeah, having someone, sometimes I think people get trapped into the routine and they feel like they have to, uh, stay committed to something that's not worth staying committed to. And thankfully, I mean, from what we've just learned today, the people have more options and freedom. Yeah, and it could be different for everyone. Again, like, it could be a financial decision, like what it used to be, if that's what you want out of it. Um, I think in that case, it would also be good to have a second partner where you get to have good sex or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm very non-traditional in my way of thinking. Yeah, the the business arrangement transactional marriage is still alive and well. Yeah. <laughs> Just watch 90 Day Fiance for, to uh, get oh, an idea of. Uh... I need to. Yeah, some of them are hard to watch. Oh, really? But you're into yeah. it though, right? Uh, yeah, I was into it for a while. I would be watching clips of it on YouTube and... Um, some of the some of the things people do to for money or to get a better quality of life it's uh it's pretty unbelievable do you have a quote i do cool the the quote is if music be the food of love play on and that is a quote from william shakespeare ooh i like it i have one too i just found it Let's hear it. It's by Frederick Nietzsche. Oh. It is not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Marry yeah. your friends. All of them. All so of that them. they can't marry anyone else. <laughs> Practice polyamory with all of your friends. No matter <laughs> what state or municipality they happen to be in <laughs> move into a big compound yeah that's the dream man living the dream that would be the dream just all my friends in one bubble and they can never leave me <laughs> well uh on that note did you have anything else to add or uh no just go to practicemakespodcast.com Say hello, send us a voicemail, send us an email. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Yep. Uh, don't forget to write. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. I sure thought it was interesting. 
and we'll see you on the next one. Uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts, please. With a cherry on top. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.